Hey, what's going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode of The Business of Cyber. Our guest today is Pramod Gasobi, who's an investor at 11.2 Capital. If you're not familiar with 11.2, uh, they've invested in uh, cyber companies like Jupiter One and Permiso, as well as a number of other companies uh, outside of the cyberspace, some notable ones being Sardine and Cruise. Now, Pramod's focus is on cybersecurity, enterprise tech, and infrastructure. Um, so what we really focus on throughout the course of the conversation are a couple of different things. One is how the investing landscape today is really different than investing in companies in 2021. Obviously, it's a different economic environment. Valuations have uh, substantially reduced. So we talk about just how things compare. From there, uh, we also talk about sort of the byproduct of um, what Pramod describes as overcapitalization in cybersecurity and some of the implications that he thinks that may have on startups and just generally the startup ecosystem. So all in all, uh, really love the conversation with Pramod and hope you guys do too. Well, the party is off to a good start. Pramod, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining me today. How's it going? It's going well. So thanks for having me as a part of the show. So as an introduction, I am an investor at Levento Capital. We are an early stage venture fund. The current fund is $100 million and I focus on enterprise uh, infrastructure. Uh, cybersecurity is, is a big focus for us among other things, but some of the other areas that we focus on are uh, developer tools, FinTech, enterprise IT, uh, data infrastructure, but uh, cybersecurity has been a, a big focus area for us this year. Very good. Well, tell us a little bit more about uh, maybe your background and how you found yourself in the world of, uh, of cybersecurity and, and venture capital. Sure, yeah. So I got into cybersecurity about uh, six to seven years ago and probably by accident. So as part of uh, VMware's corporate strategy and corporate ventures team, we were a IT company mainly selling to CIOs. Um, a CEO had this idea that, you know, the platforms need to be secure by definition, like, you know, people are buying a lot of tools to secure the platform. Uh, so we started looking at ways to make our platform more secure. So that's how my journey in cybersecurity started. The good part of that whole experiment was uh, since we were sort of coming from outside, we looked at like almost every single area of cybersecurity. So that was like a really good boot camp. So we looked at network security, endpoint security, identity, SOC, everything. What, what we wanted to do is not become a cybersecurity company, but maybe either integrate or implement some of the security features within the platform where our platform actually becomes a lot more secure and the customers don't have to buy a lot of tools or integrate with a lot of tools. So that's how I got into cybersecurity. So when I was at VMware for about five years, we um, evaluated a lot of companies. I invested in a few of them. We acquired a few uh, companies. I really fell in love with cybersecurity. You know, this is an area where um, it's like, it's evergreen because, you know, hackers never sleep. And what's happening like now is the, the whole hacking is becoming like weaponized. Like they are this nation state that are funding these hackers. You know, they have very sophisticated tools. So if you're an enterprise company, you're almost sort of uh, fighting this war every day. 
and then what's happening on the enterprise side is you know you're gathering a lot of data because data is becoming quite useful and that data basically becomes a honey pot it becomes a uh, a target for the hackers so you know i think that war will be uh, fought for a lot more years to come as as the enterprises keep on gathering more and more data and then hackers become more and more sophisticated mm -hmm. so when you reflect back on that five years at vmware like you said sort of the, the first initial exposure to you know venture capital and and the cybersecurity industry what were some of the big lessons that you learned throughout that experience and in, in writing those first checks yeah so so the in in cybersecurity you know if you look at the where the companies start a lot of the companies start in the new areas uh, what i call as a new either an attack vector or a new platform uh, so an example of an attack vector is like you know you recent recently looking at low code no code platform security right so this so customers are using low code no code platforms uh, and and those platforms present like a new attack vector so so there, there are a bunch of companies now that are solving that problem. And when I talk about new platform is, you know, think of like a platform shift from an on-premise data center to a cloud. So when that platform shift happens uh, to either like IES or SaaS, you know, there are new, uh, <clears throat> again, problems in, in, on that platform and, and, and a lot of companies start there. Um, so to be as an investor, I think I always look for like these new attack vectors and new platforms because you know you I mean those are the venues for hackers to attack you, particularly on the new platforms. So when we were investing in at VMware, we were mainly looking for this new uh, for the company that are uh, solving this uh, pain points around new attack vectors and new platforms. Uh, so that I would say like a majority of what the investment focus was. There, there was also a small focus to just improve existing processes like uh, like like SOAR is a very good example where things a lot of things were being done manually through scripts and a platform came about to uh, operationalize it, automate it. What were, when you think back on that initial experience and you know, working with startups for the first time, maybe, you know, like you said, sort of developing a thesis, noticing trends in the market and attack vectors that are opening and, you know, making investment as a result of that sort of analysis. What were some of the uh, maybe early mistakes that you made when you began uh, investing for the first time? Yeah, so I think this is very common in cybersecurity. Uh, so a lot of times, actually, the first movers in the space actually are not very successful. And one of the reasons they are not very successful is because you need to spend a lot of time uh, evangelizing the problem statement. So if you talk to CISOs right now, if you ask them about low-code, no-code platform, half of them will say, oh, I don't even know we use it. Like, forget about you know security issues, but they'll say, I don't even know we use it, right? So, so you spend a lot of money uh, marketing, doing product development, and doing evangelism, the, the, the customers are not ready. Um, so a lot of times the first movers don't do very well, you know, uh, they go and create a market and then you have like the fast followers sort of come about when the market is ready. Uh, also the, the first movers, sometimes they, 
they fail at creating the right product because they're still sort of figuring it out and they, they don't know what the right product is. The second movers, they, they know like what works and all that. But you still have to be very careful uh, sort of looking at sort of first movers and second uh, and fast followers because uh, uh, the, the teams are very important, right? So if you have like a very star founder sort of saying that, hey, I'm going to go uh, create this new category, it's a very difficult decision to sort of pass on that and say, look, look, no, I don't invest in the first movers, I'll invest in the second or third follower. So that becomes a challenge uh, a lot of times. Like, for example, like in the past, when you're looking at Net Netscope versus like Sky High, like uh, Sky High was the first uh, mover and Netscope was sort of the fast followers. But fast forward, you can see like Netscope is a much bigger company compared to Sky High, but, uh, but Sky High got sold quite early on. Uh, yeah, so those are, those are the common issues investing in cybersecurity. Yeah. Is that a, a hard and fast rule for you where if, if you see someone's a first mover you're gonna maybe study the space but keep an eye out for the second or third mover or are you willing to to make exceptions to that rule yeah so we make exceptions i think it's mainly uh driven by founders so so one is sort of the space and the second one is the is the founder so if it's a very it's 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 a pretty st star founder and what i mean by star founder in cybersecurity is somebody uh, who has a lot of experience in that space has like a very good bold vision of mm -hmm. what they want to do and also able to sort of sell that solution so if you find a founder like that you know creating a category because i think that also becomes very very important when you are the first mover so if you're a founder if you're a technical founder and if you're a first mover you're going to struggle selling the product so you need to have some selling chops marketing chops like sort of creating the category so if you don't see that actually we'll just hold on because it's like no matter how good the product is in security i think you you'd need a certain gestation period either it's like educating the buyer or the thing that actually always works is a breach or an attack that happens in the space so once there's a breach or like there's some sort of a vulnerability like log4j and others yeah. then people start learning about the space they start looking for solutions but other than that i think if the founder just has to go sell the solution if it's a highly technical founder, you know, they always struggle. Yeah. Is that, you know, in that example, right, when you've got a, you know, maybe a highly technical founder or founding team, is that the most common, uh, I would say, challenge that you see them experience is sort of the sales and marketing go-to-market expertise? Or is there another uh, challenge that you see maybe being more prevalent? Yeah, so I think the the sales and marketing and is 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 a big challenge and you see that actually being mitigated by uh, vcs recently where if you look at some of the most active uh, vcs in cybersecurity like either you take like cyberstats yl or graylock they help a lot of the customer side like they have a huge ciso community that can uh, they can get the warm leads because this is this is a very prevalent problem in cyber is because at one on one side you want like a really highly technical founder create a very good product but if if that person has to go get CISOs and get design partners uh, cold it's just impossible to do so so a lot of the VCs are doing that matchmaking uh, so to your point I think like in cyber I think 
getting that early traction, having some good design partners, some good logos, like some of the you know, well-known CISOs in the community sort of adopt that product becomes very, very important for the follow-on success. Uh, so, mm -hmm. so cyber is also a space where, you know, there are some CISOs that are very forward-looking, they're risk-taking, they, they go and adopt a product. And some of them are sort of just waiting to see if this product, like they're waiting for the feedback, right? Um, yeah. Got it. Okay. You, you've mentioned a couple of things that are important to you when you're looking for investable companies. Like you mentioned, uh, you know, experienced uh, founding team, right? A combination of technical and sales and marketing experience, maybe not necessarily being the first mover, but being a second or a third mover in a market. Uh, what else is important to you when you look for investable security companies? I think like what's what's becoming important right now uh, is awareness on the customer side. Um, so, so, you know, you have a lot of pro products and a lot of times, you know, uh, founders will go and say, I, I want to do this point product. Uh, I think what is becoming important is a little bit of a consolidation. So, I mean, I don't think there'll be a lot of consolidation across the board, but looking for like small consolidation around your product category. So, so for giving you an example, like right now, if you go, if you would go and develop a CSPM product, like nobody, no matter how good of the product is, you know, people are not going to buy it because people are looking for a consolidation around that, like, you know, CWPP and CIEM, uh, a few things that are bundled together. So having that, that, awareness of everything around your product both from a buyer as well as as a product i think that becomes very useful uh, because <clears throat> what might happen is uh, like if you're selling a vulnerability management product if you start in application vulnerability management your buyer might be the dev tools developers uh, but once you start going to infrastructure it's a totally different buyer Right, so that might actually limit your growth. Um, so you just, when you start out, you just need to sort of think through everything around the customer, like all the products, processes, tools, and also from a buyer and a user perspective. So think, like I think they need to have a vision and a plan up to like a series B, series C. I mean, they don't have to like implement or they don't have to communicate, but just having that awareness. So you need to sort of have a vision of where you're going. Uh, a lot of times people are just sort of myopic. Okay, let me just get to a series A or a series B and then I'll figure it out. Then, then the growth just stops. How do you balance that vision, right? For, you know, planning maybe a few rounds ahead, but also remaining flexible to, you know, like what we're seeing right now, changes in the market that may impact that. So how, how, when you're working with your portfolio companies or, you know, uh, looking at investable companies, how do you maybe advise them to, to strike that balance of, yeah, we want to plan three, five, 10 years down the line and say, yeah, we're going to drive towards these as, as milestones, but also we want to stay flexible to adjust based on market dynamics. Yeah. So I think, you know, so, so having a good vision and sort of this uh, roadmap is important. I think what what is important, I think you sort of alluded to that is uh, uh, execution, uh, just executing on that roadmap and the vision and executing that mainly from a customer priority perspective, like uh, 
you know, always sort of leading you in with a very differentiated product or a portfolio, and then going from there. So that execution. Uh, <clears throat> so, so this is sort of a very fine balance between having a broad vision and a roadmap versus tactical execution, right? So, so mm-hmm. you have to execute on the features, get customers along the way. You cannot say, I am building this whole thing and I'll, I'll, I'll wait for two to three years before I sell the product. Or what you cannot also do is like, hey, my customers want the CIM product. Let me just build it. I, I will not worry about it later. So it's sort of this fine balance between uh, executing, getting customers, but still sort of staying on 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 track with the broader vision. Yeah. How, how have you seen things change over the past couple of months as you know economic uncertainty is, has increased, interest rates are rising, forecasted to rise for the next few months? Um, how have you noticed changes from deals getting done to companies being operated and how they're tracking to the plan, those sorts of things? Yeah, so things have changed quite a bit, like uh, like a year, year and a half back, uh, you had like an automatic series A, like automatic, like first done conversion, where sometimes you don't don't even have a full fully baked product, uh, you know, just starting to talk to customers, you know, you might even not have revenue, and you're still getting like, a, like an automatic series A. Now that is just gone, bro. like, <clears throat> if you don't have any revenue, you can't even think about a series A. So, so a lot of companies are being forced to raise like additional funding <clears throat> on a note or maybe like a seed plus. Um, the series A conversation really starts like when you start having like a 300, 400K revenues. Uh, and and what, what has been talked about is also like a good quality revenue where there's not much customer concentration. There's a good mix of sort of small customers and, and, and large customers. Uh, so what what that is going to force is, uh, I, I think what happened in the in the in the past is there are some of these very good categories like you know cloud data security or CSPM or like uh, supply chain. Uh, so these are considered to be good category, and all of the investors would just sort of seed companies like with good founders and everything, and they they knew that the Series A were coming and like that will take care of by itself. Since that is not true anymore, I think what we'll start seeing is just very few companies being started in a, in, a, in a category which actually is good for investors, but might not be good for customers. Like right now, the customers have a lot of options, but long term, I, I, I think it's good for the health of the whole industry is that, you know, we'll, we'll have like, like, like now every category is like really, really crowded. Like it, even for customers, it's very difficult to know which one is good, which one is viable, right? So I feel like we will start seeing <clears throat> less crowded uh, spaces, which means I think the, 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 the companies actually will get a lot of breathing room. They will get a lot of attention. They'll get a lot, lot more funding long-term. Yeah. I'm always interested whenever I have a, an investor on to get their point of view on the overcapitalization or like perceived overcapitalization of, of the space. Um, you just sort of started speaking to that or alluded to it with, you know, spaces being crowded, right? Certain corners of the security market having a lot of vendors. And now that, you know, the pools dried up a little bit, that's probably going to decrease. So could you just share your point of view on if you think the security market more broadly has been overcapitalized? And if so, what are sort of the ramifications of that? 
Yeah, so it's definitely, uh, and, the, and the thing with security, I think is like overcapitalized at every stage is like uh, all the way from like seed and series A. Uh, like one thing, I mean, that still is true is you see a lot of this generalist VC firms coming and investing at later stage, right? Because everyone uh, thinks cybersecurity. So I would say cybersecurity is very unique where you see this overcapitalization at every stage in the last few years. So, so what used to happen like five, 10 years ago uh, is somebody will start a company and they'll just sell it off like quickly. Uh, you know, like a lot of these Israeli, Israeli teams would not even build a go-to-market. Like they, they would not even know how to sell a product actually. So they'll just build a product, they'll sell it off, move on to something else. But because now there's a lot of growth capital available like Series A, Series B, Series C, you know, the, the companies are overcapitalized and they keep on going. Uh, so that's a huge problem right now. Um, and right now we don't see that problem because some of these companies are falling into the laps of the, the private equity firms. So the private equity firms are sort of uh, grabbing them on the other side. But as the interest rates go up, you know, the cost of capital for them also goes up. So eventually you will see uh, sort of slowing down. The biggest problem I see with overcapitalization right now is a lack of exits. Uh, so these companies are able to raise money, so they are not seeking exits. And a lot of these companies are actually getting into this no man's land where they cannot get an exit, they cannot go IPOs. Uh, some of them can't even go profitable. Uh, so my hunch is I think within the next three to four years, you will see a lot of these companies, zombie companies uh, that are just going nowhere. And, and it'll create a huge problem for customers actually, because they wouldn't know what to do with this company because these companies are not viable. Some of them will become profitable. They'll end up becoming like, you know, lifestyle businesses. Um, overall, I'd say it's not good for both investors as well as customers. When you say zombie company, how, how would you define that more like quantitatively? Like from a metric standpoint, what do you see from a, a growth rate or a profitability metrics that makes you say, man, that, that's a zombie company. They're kind of straddling between investable and out of business. Um, I would say... Like if it's less than 50 million revenue, there's very high chances. Like typically you'd see like between 20 to 40 or 50 million or even like 60, 70 million. So within that range, um, these are companies, I think more than growth, I think the, the thing that defines these zombie companies is they're very much pigeonholed into one thing. Like uh, I hate to do this, but like Sysdig is a, is a good company, like, uh, is a good example. Like they're very, very good at what they do, like container monitoring, container security, but that's all they do, right? Like I think they have like good amount of revenue, <clears throat> but the valuation is so high that you know they, they cannot exit. I mean, obviously they cannot go IPO just with this point product. So unless they sort of reduce their valuation and 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 get sold, you will see someone like that becoming a zombie company long term where People will still use the product. You know, the growth rate would still be like in double digit. Um, it will be profitable, but again, no one is interested to pay that price, and neither mm -hmm. they can go public. Yeah. Okay. When you think about <clears throat> the landscape today, and maybe some specific changes that you're making as a result of these market dynamics, what are the biggest differences between 
how you're working now versus how you were working in October of, of last year? Yeah, so I think the, the biggest change that we see right now is just the amount of time to make an investment. Like uh, I remember there was a time where we would do a meeting on a Monday, we would do another meeting on a Tuesday, Wednesday, and by Thursday that that person will say, I already have a term sheet. Can you yeah. can you make a decision on a Friday? And there, there was one company that uh, I introduced to somebody on a Thursday and Monday morning, they already had a had the check, had the money in the bank. Like So it was moving <laughs> at, at, at a furious pace last year. Yeah. I think the biggest change I see right now is just the amount of time to make the decisions. Like nobody is sort of just jumping on. And the other thing that I also see is like sort of flight to safety where the new founders are having hard time sort of raising money. They're going through this weeks and weeks and months and months of sort of just uh, pitching around. And and some of the repeat founders, you know, people who have worked in some of the successful companies, they're able to just go to a few found few VCs, sort of figure out what they want to do and they're getting funding quite easily. Yeah, okay. I know this is going to be difficult to answer, but in terms of where things are going to be going and, and maybe what it will look like six to 12 months from now, what's kind of your, your forecast for what things will look like in a year's time? Is it, is it more of the same or do you anticipate much of a change? I think six, uh, six to nine months, I, uh, I think that you, you will see some shakeout, but you will see shakeout like very selectively in cybersecurity. Like it won't be like really large scale. Uh, you will see some of these companies not getting Series A, looking for funding. Uh, some of them sort of shutting down. But it won't be something really severe that will shake shake the industries, right? Uh, mm -hmm. I, I think in cyber, I feel like if the interest rates sort of stay elevated, like high. I think within three to four years, you will see a different industry compared to right now, where, like I said, I think the, the categories will be like less crowded, you know, companies will seek uh, exits much earlier on because they can't get follow-on funding. But in the next six to 12 months, I see some shakeout. Um, and the shakeout actually might even come with the larger companies actually. So it will be sort of weird where some of the larger companies will sort of blow up because you know they need a lot of funding. Nobody wants to fund them. The valuations are sort of messed up. But the, the smaller companies like Series A, Series B, Series C company, it's just a matter of valuation. Like, you know, if, you, if, if you're flexible, you'll get funding because the funding will be there. But some of the larger companies that are not flexible and that's are not viable, like the bond rate is very high, the, it's a very crowded category, you'll see a few big blowouts. Yeah. I know it's, uh, you know, there's a lot of people that that talk about, uh, you know, this time, right, and this point in, in a market cycle, or maybe where we're going from a market cycle perspective is, is a good time to build a company and, and a good time to invest in companies. And there's a lot of examples of, of really transformative generational businesses getting started right right after the dot-com crash or right after the financial crisis 2007 2008-ish um so i'm curious you know as we enter what appears to be you know one of maybe uh those sort of elements of a market cycle what are sort of some industry trends within security that you're really bullish about and that if you had to you know place a bet you think will be 
uh, you know, positive and strong corners of, of the industry for the foreseeable future? Uh, yeah, I think that's a very tough question. Um, so, so one thing that happens like during the downturn is um, inherently that demand sort of slows down. And when you're investing in a company, either you invest like a larger amount so that they have a lot runway or you invest in something that is really sort of differentiated like a, like a really hard tech where, you know, it's okay, you can take like a few years to build. You don't have to go to market, but once you build it, it's a really good product. Uh, so going into this downturn, I'm actually looking forward to some of this like really uh, good like pieces of technology. Like if you look at like what happened last few years, there's a whole bunch of like zero trust companies and like passwordless companies, you know, like agentless companies. Like so the, the the tech layer is very, very thin and shallow, but it was useful because people are buying it. They were sort of a bull run and like, uh, right. But moving forward, I, I, I'm expecting people to build a lot of core technology, maybe like, you know, reimagine like what endpoint security is like, you know, uh, reimagine like what SIM and XDR would be. Uh, so we, so I'm looking forward to seeing founders sort of come up with like this really sort of ambitious plan and build a, like a really uh, good deep uh, tech stack. Yeah, cool, okay, very good. Well, uh, I'd love to transition into the, uh, the rapid fire round. Um, so basic premise of this is I ask you a couple of quick questions and, and you share whatever comes top of mind. Sound good? Yeah. Cool. Uh, what's your favorite book? Uh, my favorite uh, book, like uh, this is actually really like a, like an old one. Uh, it's called this Road Less Traveled. I don't know if you, if you have come across that book. Not, no. Yeah. So it is all about sort of gratification, like how you, when you delay your instant gratification, like a lot of good things come. Uh, and, and it's something that you can use like every parts of your life, like either personal life, personal or, or professional life, just being like very, very patient and not looking for uh, instant gratification. Yeah, cool. Uh, another question, if you could uh, change one thing about the cyber investing industry, what would it be? Uh, it's, it's really sort of this uh, overcrowding of the category. Like what I see right now is, uh, you know, every investor wants a horse in the race. Uh, uh, so, and everybody wants to sort of uh, go in early, like they want to do like a seed, a series A. So a lot of time, times what you, what's happening is the whole category is getting crowded. Uh, very few companies are able to get that follow on funding. There's a problem with even recruiting and finding good people, you know, when you have like 10 companies in a, in a category. So what I would like to see is just, you know, as a whole, as an investor community, we sort of converging on like maybe those five or six sort of good teams and doubling down on them rather than everybody trying to fund their own horse. Yeah, cool. Well, last one. If you could uh, go back in time and get a drink with your 20-year-old self, what advice would you give him? Yeah, so I think like cybersecurity is a good one. Like I entered in this industry pretty late in my career. Like if I were to do it again, I would go back starting cybersecurity. 
uh, I would actually do like a couple of stints, like uh, both on the practitioner side, like in the in a CISA organization, as well as on the on the product side. I think that gives you a pretty good idea of both the buying and the selling side. Yeah. Cool. Very good, Pramod. Well, that's all the time we got. So I, I really appreciate you taking the time to chat with me today. Um, it was a pleasure meeting you. So so thanks again.